0: This week on Commute, we're going to discuss commuting, why we hate it,
1: and what we could do about it. Movies today are spectacles that cost millions of dollars to make, but one thing not in the production budget, the fighter jet. Unless
0: you actually, like, literally live under a rock, you know that Taylor Swift is having a moment right now. Well, actually, a lot of moments. But lover or hater, you can't deny she knows how to make money. This week, the economics of Swift. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, we started this show a couple of years ago at this point. And uh, while we've always sort of known what we wanted the show to be about, basically a quick, fun, weekly journey of us sharing about things that we find interesting and making fun of each other in a loving and wholesome way. Uh, But we didn't always know what we wanted the show to be called. Seriously, I, I think it kind of like came to me in a dream. Like, I remember waking up at, like, 3 or 4 a.m. one night. And for context, this is when I had an hour commute to work each way every day. But it just kind of came to me, like, in the middle of the night, we should just call it, like, Commute the Podcast. So I I fell in love with podcasts during my nearly eight years in the car. And so I thought, man, like, why not call it the very thing that most people would probably be doing while they listen to it? So I know that you've had a decent commute before in life, including, if I'm not mistaken, a run-in maybe with hitting a deer. But uh, what are your reflections now that it's been a minute since you had to you
1: know, like actually stay in the car for a while to get to work? Well, that's not wrong. Uh, there were plenty of dear close calls and a real call <laughs> that happened uh, on the way to that commute. But yeah, the first um, commute that I ever had was for a teaching job that I took out of county. Uh, I was like 23 years old, and it was a little bit over an hour one way. So it was pretty exhausting. I mean, you, you're driving the road is like kind of mind numbing. It's really straight. Like there's not a lot going on. And like you said, I think it was probably us having those long commutes that's directly related to us ever starting this show in the first place. So back to when you hit the deer.
0: <laughs> so uh, would you say it's your fault or the deer's fault? Uh, it was most definitely the deer's fault. That's what you're supposed to say. That's a trick <laughs> question. I learned that in driver's ed in high
1: school. You never tell the insurance adjuster it was your fault. It was the deer's fault. The deer ran into you. I mean, I can't imagine telling some the insurance adjuster that it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just exactly. I mean, kind of yeah, counterproductive well, you can't even say you can't even. Like, say, well i was looking hey, at my phone Ms. i wouldn't have hit it if i was looking at
0: my phone or if i wasn't <laughs> looking at my phone <laughs> you can't even leave a little doubt though you can't even say like hey mr insurance guy i hit a deer like what should i do you say hey mr insurance guy a deer ran into me can you believe it <laughs> <laughs> but regardless OJ, of our past feelings on commuting and you know whether you hit the deer or the deer hit you well we hope this show at least makes your commute a little bit better if that's when you listen to us Most people hate their commutes. Despite a recent University of Chicago report that found that nearly 40% of all jobs can now be done remotely, most of us, Jay, still have a daily commute. And the research says most of us hate it. There are a lot of reasons for this. But what's perhaps the most obvious is that commutes take up a lot of time. According to the Census Bureau and reporting from Business News Daily, Americans who commute to work travel an average of 27.6 minutes per day in each direction. Over time, that adds up to hours, days, weeks, and even years spent sitting in a car. And the negativity surrounding driving to a job often leads to negativity at the job. A survey from Springer found a negative correlation directly between commute length and job satisfaction. And Jay, the same survey uncovered something else. The longer the commute, the fewer people also enjoyed their lives away from work. Talk about soul crushing. In fact, according to a report from Ring Central, so get this, 40% of Americans, okay, 40%, 4 in 10, say they'd rather clean a toilet than commute to a physical office for a job. And going back to the remote work stat, these feelings have become stronger post COVID. It's like we know too much now, and we can't go back to workplace ignorance like before we've seen inside the matrix. A 2022 Boston.com survey found, and I quote, nearly universal dismay at the very thought of returning to an office full-time in a post-COVID world. In big cities like Chicago and New York City, it's estimated that drivers lose over 100 hours per year sitting in traffic It's basically four days. And Jay, folks hate commuting so much that they, at least in theory, would give up a lot of money to get rid of them. A 2021 survey from Zebra found that some Americans would actually give up 50% of their salary if it meant they didn't have to commute. These respondents cited the sacrifices in sleep, family time, and exercise as being worth that amount of money to them. So Jay, all of this leads to What do we do about it? Well, once again, as someone who commuted an hour each way for almost eight years, my opinion is that if you hate your commute that much, you're just doing it wrong. I found a rhythm with mine, and while I won't quite say I miss it, I learned to value it. I fell in love with podcasts during that time. I listened to countless audiobooks that made me better as a person and a professional and continue to influence me today. I talked on the phone a lot. My dad and I scheduled early morning phone calls, a tradition we hold to this day, and I got to visit local rest stops that you drive past and never see. I actually got stuck in traffic once. I think I told you this. I got stuck in traffic once for a very long time. I had to go knock on a stranger's door. I left my car in park. I went to a stranger's house and peed at their house. They, they let me What in. a good Samaritan. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was an interesting house, too, but um, I don't really want to speak too poorly about it. I mean, they let me use their their bathroom but uh, it was like the, in the bathroom there was like way too many mirrors you know usually there's the mirror over the sink they have like eight mirrors it's like every wall was a mirror <laughs> but my advice is this shape, plan ahead and try to enjoy the journey check your gps before you leave for traffic incidents if you like coffee take a huge one with you research podcasts <laughs> like ours to maybe pass the time and uh get you
1: like a job. So you don't have to, to stop and uh, maybe knock on somebody's door like I do. Well, my commute now, I mean, I'm dropping my kids off in the morning at school. So it's mostly just questions. So it's like 7, 10 in the morning. And they're asking me questions about like, how do cell phones work? What's the cell tower for? What happened to the dinosaurs? <laughs> you know, things like this. And I'm just like, you know, I want you to be curious, but it's a little early for this <laughs> right now.
0: Well, uh, you know, my commute is about 20 minutes now, but I, I drop off both of my kids at daycare. And only one of my kids can really talk. Where did stoplights come from? How come stop signs are red? How come grass grows over there and not over there? I'm like, just stop it! Stop it!
1: (laughs) So Dave, we're going to be talking about movies today, specifically movies that use military equipment. And one of the ones that I'm going to reference a lot is Top Gun, Do you have an opinion on Top Gun? There was a new Top Gun that actually came out recently That's a continuation of the first one. This is so funny. I feel like we do this all the time. Because here in a second,
0: spoiler alert, in in the third segment, I'm going to open it up by talking about how you and I don't really do many truly controversial things. Like, we kid around about controversial opinions, but we really don't have controversial opinions. This is actually pretty controversial with people, what I'm about to say. So the new Top Gun I loved, I thought it was awesome, The old Top Gun, I would rather watch paint dry. Now, the, now, when they're in the sky, like with the, like the action scenes with the actual planes, that's pretty cool. But all the stuff on the ground—talk about the cheesiest, like
1: made-for-TV VHS type stuff. Get out of here! I mean, but you kind of have to just like lean into that. though. like that's what it is. Oh, you know, it's like it's like, just, it's like uh, incredibly like you can't. You have to check reality at the door. I, to I watch mean, I top know I, I am the minority on this, but people just like they they romanticize it. It's just not that good. <laughs> well. Uh don't give us any one star reviews for that that's uh it that might set off some, some I love anger. the new one
0: I mean come on mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Well, Dave, today we're delving into this really fascinating relationship between Hollywood and the United States military. Specifically, we're going to be exploring how the military often lends equipment to film companies that are creating blockbuster movies, not only to entertain, but also to provide publicity for the armed forces. So to start things off, it's important to acknowledge that this partnership between Hollywood and the U.S. military is nothing new. In 1917, the head of the National Association of Motion Picture Industry wrote to then-President Woodrow Wilson, saying, quote, "...the motion picture can be made the most wonderful system for spreading the national propaganda at little or no cost." So how does this collaboration work today? Well, Dave, the military often collaborates with filmmakers to lend them equipment, personnel, and even locations for movies. This collaboration adds a layer of authenticity to the films, obviously. It makes them more realistic for the audience, and it reduces the film's budget. It happens many times, but one iconic example is the 1986 aforementioned movie Top Gun, where the U.S. Navy provided extensive support, hoping to spin the popularity of the movie into a recruitment tool. Filmmakers had access to ships, aircraft carriers, jets, and everything in between to make the movie. In fact, a 1993 recruiting survey found that 24% of recruits surveyed said television shows and movies like Top Gun had a strong influence on them joining the Navy. So that brings us to a critical question. What does this cost the U.S. taxpayer? The reality is that the military support for films is often considered a form of public relations investment. While the exact figures can be almost impossible to pinpoint due to classified budgets, it's clear that for the military, it's all about the image these movies can generate. The positive image created by these films can contribute to increased public support and recruitment for the military. And at times in history, image rehabilitation was actually needed, like think during the Vietnam War, for example. Author Lawrence Sued put it this way, When I was getting my film degree, it suddenly occurred to me that people in the U.S. had never seen the U.S. lose a war in film. And when President Johnson said, we can go into Vietnam and win, they believed him because they'd seen 50 years of war movies that were positive. And Dave, as wars became less and less politically popular, such as the long involvement in the Vietnam War, the military turned to film to try to rehabilitate its image, with Top Gun doing it most successfully. Now, you might be wondering if any U.S. citizen can request to use the military equipment. The short answer is no. The collaboration is carefully curated and involves a pretty rigorous approval process. Filmmakers have to submit scripts to the Department of Defense for review, ensuring that the portrayal aligns with the military's values. It's a symbiotic relationship where Hollywood gains access to the authentic military equipment, and the military, in turn, benefits from the positive exposure— But the rule here is your film cannot portray certain violations of military policy, like it can't show soldiers breaking military law, for example. Oftentimes, the agreement can be nearly 100 pages long when all is said and done, and a breakdown in communication can sometimes come down to a single scene or even a single line. So what about fiction or science fiction, then? While the military does work with fictional stories, such as superhero films or alien invasion films, there are often extensive compromises involved. Philip Strub, a liaison between the Pentagon and film companies, recalls an example of a simple line from the film Iron Man, stating there originally was a scene in which a military officer was supposed to say, quote, they'd kill themselves for the opportunity Iron Man has. Strub says this, it never got resolved until we were in the middle of filming. Now we're on the flight lines at Edwards Air Force Base and there's 200 people and the director and I are having an argument about this. He's getting redder and redder in the face and I'm getting just as annoyed. It was pretty awkward and then he said angrily, well, how about they'd walk over hot coals instead? And I said, fine. He was so surprised that it was that easy. That said, it doesn't always work out. For example, in another Marvel film, The Avengers, Strub stated, quote, We couldn't reconcile the unreality of this international organization and our place in it. To whom did S.H.I.E.L.D., a fictional government military force, answer? Did we work for S.H.I.E.L.D.? We hit that roadblock and decided we couldn't do anything. It's one thing, like in Transformers, where you have this unit of mostly soldiers and one airman, and they'd report to the chairman, it's a fictional military organization, but it's not outside the system as compared to S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. is this all-powerful entity that can, you know, nuke New York City, Thus, in the end, this was one of the few Marvel films that didn't get Department of Defense support, and instead, all the jets depicted in the film were computer-generated. Now, Dave, it's worth noting that the collaboration between Hollywood and the military isn't without controversy. Critics argue it blurs the line between entertainment and propaganda, shaping public opinion in favor of the armed forces. On the other hand, proponents argue it's a mutually beneficial partnership and fosters understanding between civilians and the military. Tom Cruise spoke on this in an interview in 1990, saying, quote, Some people felt that Top Gun was a right wing film to promote the Navy, and a lot of kids loved it. But I want the kids to know that that's not the way war is. That Top Gun was just an amusement park ride, a fun film with a PG-13 rating that was not supposed to be reality. That's why I didn't go on to make Top Gun 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. That would have been irresponsible. Kind of awkward now that he literally made Top Gun 2 and is making <laughs> Top Gun 3, but still. <laughs>
0: Hey, money talks. Also, Tommy was wrong. I, I believe it was a PG movie, not, not PG thirteen. So yeah. now, of course, I have the internet right <laughs> now, in front of me. Eighties, eighties PG is a little different. Eighties PG than is like PG. borderline R. Yeah, we've talked about that before. <laughs> it depends where you look to see whether or not this is accurate and what the number really is. But uh, according to the U.S. Navy, the uh, recruitment for naval officers went up five hundred percent. The year after Top Gun was released, so basically it was kind of like a, a recruitment piece. Now I will say, going back to uh, me, you know, not thinking it's a great movie, uh, the critics agree. So Rotten Tomatoes says it is rotten. It's not fresh. It's in the fifties, and uh, I kind of agree with a Peter Rainer's review from the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. Too bad the entire movie wasn't airborne. Whenever the story touches down, it falls apart in the hand like thousand-year-old parchment. That's a little dramatic. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's poetry, really. All right, Jay, finally we love to have fun. Like in life on this show, we just like that fun. Right, you could say we we're we're just we're fun lovers. We're fun lovers. Never going to say that again. <laughs> And to me, part of it is that uh we just, and, and, and my my take on Top Gun aside, we just don't love being controversial, honestly. Like, we just don't think it's fun to sit there and argue. Like, it sounds silly, but it's true. Most people have such strong opinions that they always think they're right. They just want to fight about things. They just have controversial takes. They just want to be right. And, you know, it just, it goes from there. So with that said, are you tired of Taylor Swift? <laughs> uh,
1: no. I mean, I feel like I've kind of, seen a lot of her already she's popular in my house like my wife really likes her music as far as the nfl thing is concerned like i don't really feel like it's that intrusive like anytime i watch a game that the chiefs are playing in they don't really cut to her that often like if you heard it from the outside and you've never watched the you would think that like they were cutting to her every couple seconds like every time there was a pass or something
0: yeah yeah i mean i i agree and and i think people just worry way too much about oh, it. for sure to be honest But today, we are going to not so much talk about Taylor Swift as a person or a musician. We're going to talk about Taylor Swift as one of the most incredible economic engines of our time. Jay, we're both huge football fans. And so along with the rest of the world, as you've said, we've seen it. First, it was the sold-out Eras Tour. More on that in just a minute. Then it was the relationship with Chiefs All-Pro tight end Travis Kelsey. Taylor has appeared at over half of the Chiefs games this season exciting some, infuriating others. But most interestingly, and what we'll talk about today, is that she has made the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs, and herself, a lot of money. Jay, according to Apex Marketing Group, a company that for nearly a decade has tracked sports and entertainment sponsorships and branding analytics, as of this episode, with the Chiefs on the verge of yet another Super Bowl appearance, Swift has been worth more than $330 million to the value of the Kansas City Chiefs. It's really a perfect situation because you have this massive concert tour that took place by a superstar singer, and you meld that with a guy in the NFL, a top-name athlete in the NFL who is semi-high profile, and he got a lot of commercials and is well-respected. Eric Smallwood, president of Apex Marketing Group, told MarketWatch, it's very unique, And to compare it to anything is really tough. And I think that Eric is right. So to come to this number, Jay, what exactly has Apex tracked? Well, it's tracked a lot. Any mention or visual of Swift tied to the Chiefs or the NFL. And then the flip side, any mention of the Chiefs or the NFL tied to a non-sports piece of content in Swift. If there's a picture of her in an NFL stadium printed anywhere, Jay, it's got an associated value. Apex has also tracked other things. NFL ratings are up dramatically among female viewers, by the way. Travis Kelsey's jersey sales have soared over 400%, in fact, since September 2023. And the upcoming Super Bowl, where I'm sure Swift will get plenty of airtime. what sold out all of its Super Bowl commercial inventory significantly faster than usual. And as we've discussed before, Super Bowl ads ain't cheap. Variety reports this year. A 30-second spot went for nearly $7 million. Back to the era's tour. According to the Washington Post, well, it did pretty decent. It's estimated that Swift's personal earnings from the tour were over $4 billion. Each tour stop, including merchandise, travel, hotels, food, etc., generated $93 million, which went well beyond Swift's bank account, proving to be an incredible economic boost to various U.S. cities. Jay, the estimated overall U.S. economic boost from Swift's Eras Tour is said to be nearly $6 billion, which would roughly be a $20 bill for each one of us, for every person living in America. Just let that sink (laughs) in. Hotels saw a nearly $210 million bump in revenue. And what was the most coveted piece of merchandise from the shows, you ask? A $65 blue crew deck that saw a 1,600% increase in eBay sales from March 2023 to July 2023. All in all, Jay, it's just kind of nuts. I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like it again, to be honest. But the good news is, lover or hater, you're about to get
1: to see a lot of her again during Super Bowl week. Well, I think this is going to be what carries us into the future. I mean, if Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey get married and then have a child... Then we're going to probably see the next American baby boom. You know, we're going to have we're going to enter an age of prosperity. Like homes are going to be built across the country, families are going to get started. This economy is going to go to the moon. She's just going to drive the whole thing for us. You know, it used to be Bieber. Well, I don't know about that. You don't think so? I mean, this is bigger than Beatlemania. Probably when it's all said and done, right? Bieber's like
0: baby, 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 <laughs> oh.
1: Yeah, at least Taylor, at least Taylor Swift writes some pretty good lyrics sometimes, like that's the chorus of his most famous song. Well, that's not song. bad. Baby, baby, you, baby, oh.
0: Yeah, you don't think that's good?
1: <laughs> it's something about just the two words that gets me.
0: And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, CommuteThePodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Salmons For Jay And I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Did you ever think about uh, joining the Navy? Join the army?
1: I don't think I ever thought about that for one minute of my entire life. Our country's better off for it. <laughs> now you would have been a good soldier. Is it because I is because I follow orders? <laughs> I respect authority. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah, I feel like you follow orders. You respect authority. You, probably, you're horrible with You're horrible with weapons, so you wouldn't be good in combat.
1: That's true. I do. Right be... between my eyebrows, I have a scar. From where one time in high school I was holding like a big <laughs> rifle with a scope and I had, didn't have it pressed against my shoulder and it kicked back so hard and clocked me right in the head. <laughs> I thought I fractured my skull.